Anna here. Now, are you an entrepreneur who wants to write and publish a book about your own failures turned successes? Well, good news. That's what my company, Legacy Launchpad, does. Find out more at LegacyLaunchpadPub.com. That's LegacyLaunchpadPub.com. Now, should you do a book, you ask? I think so. Why? Because you're worth it. Now back to the show. Now, the best books are made up of stories. And let's face it, the best stories are about bouncing back from failure. I'm Anna David, obsessed with books, a New York Times bestselling author and the CEO of Legacy Launchpad Publishing. And I only achieved those things because I picked myself up again after failing and found my way to success. And that makes me uniquely qualified to get the best stories about failure and success out of other people. Failure is always a learning experience. So after six months, I told him that I Googled sociopath and he had all of the symptoms and I found myself out of job. At that time, it was supposed to be a side hustle. Well, the side hustle started to make far more money than the real hustle. So I, after six months, I, I quit my job. Welcome to Fail Your Way to Success. Welcome to Fail Your Way to Success. When was the last time you failed? I hope recently. Because that means that you are in the zone of coming back to success. Because that's how it works. Uh, My guest today talks all about that. He's the director and certified portfolio manager at Baird. Has almost three decades of experience in the private wealth management industry. And he is in the process of becoming the entrepreneurial spokesperson on mental health and destigmatizing mental health. His name is Mark Fujiwara, and in this episode, we talk all about um, breaking generational cycles, holding on to things for 47 years, living up to your parents' expectations, talking to your kids about taking medication, and so many other things. And so with that, I give you Mark Fujiwara. (laughs) So Mark, I'm so excited to talk about failure with someone so successful. So tell me, what role do you believe failure plays in success? I can remember when I failed. Gosh, it goes back to five years old. Failure is always a learning experience. And for me, not only a learning experience, but a way to inspire others and to impact others. It's almost to a point that uh, the best successes in my life have come when I so-called hit rock bottom, when I failed, and something new comes along the way. But now it's such a great way for me to just charge forward because I know other people are watching. I'm leading other people, not only my kids, but my tribe around me. And it's like, let's just find a way to just rise even farther up from this failure. So what was that failure at five? Let's start young. Oh, okay. So it wasn't, it was, it was failure because I was put into an environment. Anna, you and I grew up, uh, going to private schools in the Bay. And so I, I, in the Bay area, exactly. So I'm going to the school called cathedral school for boys. Um, and my mom, was a public school teacher. So she didn't want me in public schools. She got me into this elite elementary school. 
22 kids and pretty much all 22 kids came from wealthy families. We were probably about middle class, middle to upper, if that. And I, and I remember walking in there and just feeling like every other kid, every kid in that class was so much more confident, so much more mature, fearless, smarter. And right off the bat, I was like, I don't want to be here. In fact, I would fake being sick, but something kicked in probably about a few months in, a couple of months in actually, I, I, I felt like there were certain things that I could rise that the other kids couldn't. Both my parents were very good at math. And so that was, came easy to me. I was doing multiplication as a kindergartner. So instead of like holding back, I was just like, let's go for it. Let's show them what I got. Mm -hmm. The other thing that is so near to my heart right now, even to this day, is the fact that my dad and I, I was an only child. My dad always made sports fun. It was a fun competition. I'll race you to the, I'll race you, you know, we lived in Sacramento, uh, San Francisco, half a block to our house, see who can be faster. And he'd always push me. And I discovered that I'm pretty fast, old, faster than some of my older cousins. So I used, used that. I was always holding back in front of these kids. And I'm just like, I'm just going to go for it. And that just, it was like automatic respect once I let the ceiling off. Yeah, because I was going to say, just being good at math, uh-oh, did Mark get teased? And then you're like, no, 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 I got the sports thing too. Um, exactly. The sports thing was the big one, yeah. And I will say, as a Bay Area kid, Cathedral boys, I don't think they were known for their athleticism. That was not a thing no. Cathedral boys were known for. We we would get we would get schooled by Stuart Hall in town, the two other boys' schools. Yeah. Um, oh, the other thing, which was, you know, I was the only Asian kid in the class. So it's like the the kid that's like less mature and not as smart. And oh yeah, he he looks different from us too. Mm. Um, but once I got that sports thing and just said, look, I'm not going to hold back on this. It was like, there was no looking back to this. Uh, I don't want to segue. I should not be, but do you know Garrett Wynn? Yes. Uh, Garrett Jin? Garrett Wynn. He went to Cathedral. He was probably in your class, but this is boring for the listeners. We can talk about it another time. <laughs> you remember Garrett? I, I know that name. Yeah. So anyway. I do know that name. He was my first kiss. Uh, oh wow oh wow yes wow. he's also a good family friend doesn't matter anyway so <laughs> so very young you realize i feel incredibly insecure about this i could you were too young to think about it this way i could con consider this a failure but instead i am going to take the strength inside and rise to the occasion would you say that's accurate exactly exactly would you, would you say that became a theme in your life? Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. It was almost like, you know, because I would, boys can be me. I mean, kids yeah. can be me pretty much, but they would, I mean, it wasn't just me, but they would tease you on anything. Yeah. So they would tease me, you know, oh, flat nose Fujiwara, you know, and my eyes are perfect, but they would always say, oh, man, how could you see out of those things? <laughs> and it was always like, um, you know, I know it affected some of my other family when they got, when they got, you know, racially 
uh, teased like that, but it was always just like, oh, I am going to, oh, thank you for the fuel. Thank you for like, like these two of back to me. It's like, you give me a little fuel you give me a little reason to just rise over you. And that's, and I'm going to rise even higher. So yeah, absolutely a thing. And so you very much utilize your math skills today. Would you say growing up middle class in this whatever, you know, private school environment motivated you to do what you do, money managing for high net worth individuals? Yeah, I feel like, you know, Cathedral was overall a really good experience. And I feel like um, uh, knowing, being comfortable um, with, with wealthy people at an early age. And then also realizing that um, because they're wealthy, there could be a connection on the human side. And it wasn't like, oh, we can't talk to these people because they're wealthy. When you really got to know some of these people, when you really got to know some of the parents, um, you know, quick story. This is the realization that wealthy people are are human. Not now, some of them are jerks, and that's fine. But um, at my graduation, eighth grade graduation, all the all the parents are outside, and we had just graduated. We're off to high school, and I'm standing on the steps of the outside of the cathedral. And uh, there's a woman who is a stepmom to one of our, our, our um, classmates, Todd, uh, named Danielle Steele. You oh, I know Todd Trainer well, by the way. Yeah, Todd Trainer. Yeah. yeah. So she's going down the row, and she, and and I've seen her before. I've never met her, and I'm just like, oh, that's Danielle Steele, right? Oh my goodness! And she looks me in the eye, and she says, "Congratulations, Mark. Very proud of you." And it was like, holy moly. Um, but you're right, Anna. It was a these types of relationships where I wasn't intimidated by wealthy people. And I saw the importance because it's like the wealthy people are are able to not only buy these really nice houses, but do a lot of things for their kids. They're able to put them in camps. They're able to send it to the best schools, which was so much of an impact. You know, I went to Lick Warning after that. I know you went to Branson. Um, and it, it put me ahead. And it was almost like, well, I understand just how money can be a good thing. You know, we're taught growing up sometimes, right? Money is the root of all evil. You know, all, all these all these types of things that, that dissuade us from not only earning money, but working together with wealthy individuals. Yeah, it, it's interesting because I'm going to say something. I, I'm nervous it's going to sound obnoxious, but you know, I grew up with a lot of privilege. It all went away, so so you don't. So no one listening think, oh, she's so obnoxious. But the fact I didn't know anything but that, so I didn't have that kind of awareness at all until you know, the money went away and I got into the actual real world. Um, so I think it's very interesting to, to, to have that awareness young, because I think a lot of people who grow up in that just have no idea there's anything else They're you know, um, I too, I definitely thought money was the root of all evil because I looked at my family and they didn't seem happy. Right. Right. Um, so, and I know growing up in that environment, I was told, if not actually, at least subconsciously, failure is not an option. 
You cannot fail. Yeah. Um, you are a loser if you fail. If we fail, we don't talk about it. I know yep. you too grew up in an environment where you don't talk about the difficult things. Absolutely. Yeah, you're right. How, um, how, yeah. How did that affect you? Yeah, a couple of things. Failure was not an option. Um, and you don't let down your family, um, which was good in a way, but it also put a whole lot of pressure on you. Um, and that was not just my parents. It was throughout, you know, my mom has a very large family, all her sisters and brother, same kind of thing. So in terms of not talking about struggles, a um, couple things here. One is that uh, um, both sides, I'm Chinese and Japanese. On the Chinese side, you know, if a child gets sick, like let's say you catch a cold or a, a flu bug or whatever, that's actually a ding on the parents. It's almost like the parents let down the kid, right? And since a lot of Asian families put a lot of the value of themselves into the kids, it's almost like, well, you know, in a way, the kid kind of let me down catching the cold, right? Wow. Now think about it this, you know, we've talked about mental health before, Anna, and I struggled with depression and anxiety, ADHD, addiction, I mean, everything. And think about when you start sharing that with your family, you start sharing the fact that I got a panic attack or I was anxious because I really wanted to do well on this test. I was anxious because I had to make one of the two free throws to win the game. Um, I get depressed sometimes, you know, my cousin died from suicide, Carson. Um, I was 21 and he was 15 and, um, I always remember everybody in my family was trying to figure out why did he do that? Why did he do that? It was unexplained. And it was almost like that voice in my head says, I, I, I can relate. I know why you did it because I've had those thoughts too. I've had those thoughts too, but we're, we're conditioned not to say anything to, to the point that I kept it inside for 47 years, Wow, 47 years. I think that's, I, 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 I would have spontaneously combusted if I had had, I, I had, to, you know, I do think in, in lots of families, the, the, the family member who expresses those feelings becomes the identified patient because the denial in the family can be so extreme that you're ostracized more, um, you know, as somebody who, you know, has a four month old son we talk a lot about, and my, you know, my boyfriend, he's a dude. He's not so into talking about feelings. He's like, you're going to be the one that he can go to and talk about feelings. And I, I just went back to therapy. And so I sort of like lovingly said to my son, I was like, I'm going to therapy. It's okay if you go to therapy one day. And my boyfriend's like, he's going to be perfect. He's not going to be there. Whatever. We're joking about. Um, <laughs> how do you talk to your kids about failure and success and these issues? It's a great question. I have a 20-year-old, uh, an 18-year-old, and in perfect succession, a four-and-a-half-year-old. <laughs> so this applies a lot to the 20 and the 18. I remember when I, I, I told my cousin that I had mental health struggles. And this woman was, her name's Gail. She is so strong. But she also admitted to me she had the same struggles as well. 
And it was almost like, I have to, I have to start sharing this with people. So I immediately shared, shared with Izzy and Parker. And it was so timely too. Um, I admitted that I needed antidepressants. He said PTSD from a really tough divorce from the mall. Um, I also admitted panic attacks and anxiety. And sometimes I needed help with the anxiety. But it felt really good to sh share, not only with them, but just a lot of people that were close to me. Um, what's interesting is that, you know, I, I would tell them everything and say, yeah, I'm going to therapy. I'm going to therapy every week. I also have a doctor that helps me with if I need prescription medication, which is not something I intend to take for the rest of my life. But right now, it's much needed. So these things don't happen. And what was interesting was that it was probably about a year after I, I started sharing this with the kids. I get a phone call one day and uh, uh, Izzy's, in, uh, Izzy's in the eighth grade. Um, and she, 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 she calls, calls me and says, I'm in the office, I don't feel well. Can you come get me? Sure. But I, I felt like th that voice was not the typical, because she usually would just say, my stomach hurts, or, you know, she, <laughs> she shares a lot with me in terms of how she's doing. But in this moment, I had that feeling, it's something, I was like, you know, all these thoughts go in your head. So I picked her up, signed her out, we're walking towards the car. And she, she leans right into me. And I said, you're right. She says, I just had a panic attack and I was in class and I felt like my heart was racing so fast. I just needed to get out of there. I needed to get out of there. I just wanted to run out of there, but I couldn't run out of there. So that's, she said, I'm sorry that I, I lied and said I wasn't feeling well. And I said, Izzy, you didn't lie because you're not feeling well. Yeah. I know how panic attacks are. And it was because I shared that with her. And it was almost like I saw it in her face. It was just like that relief. And, I, and we talked about it. We talked about like what to do when the next one comes or you feel the next one coming. I always made the mistake that when, when I would, so my, my big thing was in, in enclosed spaces and then everyone's looking at you which was a lot of times, right? And I would tell her like, every time I do that, I would go back to that, that time. And it was like, oh, I remember that time. And now I'm in that and I'm reliving it. So the heart is racing. You're sweating. Every, all the same physiology is happening right in front of you. But what I did was I said, look, we're going to, um, you have a therapist, but you know, we're going to, we're going to get a therapist that um, we might want to take something for this too. And to evaluate that, um, just have somebody else evaluate that. And she worked through it. My son also had anxiety and other mental health struggles as well. Um, but just that access to therapy and that open communication, um, I mean, completely open, Yeah, which I feel really help them through those teenage years. Yeah. Um, all of that is mitigated now. Um, um, they're, they're very open about it. And, and I, I could tell too, just the calmness that they have. They're both in college right now, junior and freshman. Um, but, um, 
to, to actually have those strategies and the help available and the openness um, really put them on a, on, a, on, a, on a calmer path, an easier path. Now, let's talk about your business failures and successes. Well, let's first talk about your business success. Uh, brag to me for a minute. Uh, tell me about your business. <laughs> oh, there's a lot of it. So um, uh, private wealth is what I've been doing as far back as I can remember. And um, I, uh, I realized early on that there was more than just investing money for people. Um, so I developed what was called a family office, which wasn't really available back then as a term. And it was pretty much an expert coordinator of experts, gathering really good people to do everything under the sun. So you want to sell your company, you don't want to pay taxes, you want to set, set up a charity. And then it started to open up on non-financial. So I had, unfortunately, I had a, a client who passed away after he sold his business. And um, uh, that prompted me to get, you know, private medical. Um, I mean, you're one of my go-to professionals, Anna, just in terms of publishing and purpose, actually. So so um, that's, that's, my, that's my business model is like, yeah. I don't try to manage your assets that that comes sometimes i just try to figure out what what's what's the problem i can solve and a lot of times it's like i need you to help me with my brother who is on the verge of suicide um, and i have practitioners that are best in the world to do that and put together a team on that so that's that's my business that i've been doing since i since i graduated um, from that, though, I've realized the value of having experts. And not only experts, um, <laughs> you've probably heard me talk about this in Bradford Network all the time, high character, high alignment, high consciousness, and high purpose. You get those four. It's almost like, I don't care what you do or how good you are. If you don't have those four, we're not going it, to, it's not going to become a, an effective partnership. <laughs> because when you have high character individuals that are truly aligned with you, that's where you can pretty much do anything. Anything is possible. Mm -hmm. And and it also get, feeds off energy. It's also if you're serving those types of people too. I know you truly get this too, Anna. When you're serving those types of people, that's where you're just like, this is the best thing ever. We're in complete flow here. So I took that and and with Justin Breen, we started Breathic Network. <laughs> which was a very intentional, heavy gate at the door. It's not, it doesn't matter if you can write the check. It, that, that does not matter at all. Yeah. If you're a high character, high alignment, high consciousness, high purpose, we're going to fit into this group because we get, get together a similar thing with my, my uh, multifamily office partners right now. Anybody you can collaborate. And from that, you get the highest collaboration and the energy from that gets the top results. We can live and flow all, all the time. And, and I, I'll say I've um, been in a number of these groups and it's completely different. It really is different. And I think, of, and I'm already working with a number of the people in the group, which never happens that quickly. <laughs> I will say one, one reason is also you take it very seriously. You come prepared. Most of the time in those groups, the person running it it does not seem to do that. I'm sure a lot of prep always goes into it, but but I we learn from you 
it's it's like a master class at the same time as a networking, you know, sort of group. That's what I think. Okay. But I appreciate you saying that. <laughs> now let's talk about your failures. Let's talk about business failures. What have the biggest business failures been? All right. So um uh business failure number one. Um out of the gate, I I worked for a, a foundation. Um, and this failure turned out to be just just an amazing failure. Uh, the foundation, um, I thought was, I was going to learn all this high level stuff about, um, <laughs> about how to do charitable, charitable deductions and maximize taxes for, for the wealthy. So it was like, oh, this is a great stepping stone to, to my, my career that I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Um, I then found out that I was, um, I was handed a list of donors that from zero to a hundred that have donated zero, $1 to a hundred dollars in a given year. And they gave me this, it was like stack and they put me in a room and they just said, okay, call these people. And I'm like, okay, to, to give money. And they're like, no, 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 call them to sell them an insurance policy and then have that insurance policy, uh, uh, be the beneficiary, the, the children, the, the foundation is the beneficiary. And I'm like, that's like two sales right there. That's so it's tough. Think about it. Selling insurance over the phone. Okay. So the person might need insurance, but it's, you're not going to sell insurance over the phone. Oh, and then by the way, we need, we need you since you, you know, we're going to have you put the, put the uh, charity as the, uh, as the beneficiary. Um, I don't know how many calls I make. And it was like, the, the proof was this. They always say, oh, it's about the numbers. You just pick up the phone and, you know, back in the day, you yeah. know, that was it when you're cold calling. And it was like, I knew I, it, it was kind of the end of time when I got on the phone with a donor and he says, man, this doesn't seem like a, this doesn't seem like anybody's going to buy. And I just said, you know, you're right. I don't know. I I really got to change this stuff. So I I I took my sheets and I and I went to I went to one of the managers and I'm saying this ain't working. Um, what happened after that though, which was then it became like, let show me show me how you get the big donations. Show me how you get the big donations and 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 let me see how you do that. And they were getting like half a million, one million. And and let me help you with that. Look, I I, I sold one insurance policy off of a thousand calls, mm-hmm. and so by helping with that and all these sophisticated charitable giving techniques, which like helps the client, helps the charity, they the client doesn't pay taxes. That's what got me well ahead of the curve once I started in the private wall space. Mm-hmm. So um, that failure did turn into your greatest success, right? Um, I've also had other failures where, um, you know, it wasn't necessarily a, yeah, it was a failure because I was kind of doing the same thing with a business partner and I made the mistake of getting a business partner, um, in the private wall space that enjoyed doing the same things I did. Mm. And, but I also felt too, that the work ethic wasn't there as well. So I was working really hard. And it was, it was, um, 
you know, I was a bit more intentional, um, but it was comfortable. And that's, that's, that's the, that's the word that, um, that, that created this failure, which it was so comfortable. It was like, oh, I could just, you know, do my thing and he could do his thing. We'll bring in business here and there. Um, but it started not working Anna. Like I was working really hard. And this was right about the time that I, that I started sharing with everybody that I had these mental health struggles because this is what created this downward spiral. Um, which is why I started going out of my comfort zone for a hundred straight days, which is another story. But I started looking at, at my growth over a four year period. And it was just like, there was like no growth, like zero growth in a business, which you are expected to grow. You're expected to bring in money. And it was like, I'd bring in money, but I would, would money would go out the door. And I'm like, what am I doing here? I'm working weekends. I'm working my tail off. And so it just made me realize it's like, I need to make a change, even though it's, it's going to be very uncomfortable. And from that point, I said, I've always had a business partner in, in the business. It's like right now, no business partners. And that's where things started to escalate into, into, um, uh, you know, uncharted territories right there. So interesting. It's like the opposite of who dot how, which always that concept is that you're always supposed to be adding people. Um, I, I'm somebody who knows that I could never have a business partner and it's yeah. been my greatest asset because I don't delude myself into thinking I would be able to share the pie. Oh, not with my control issues. So, so, you know, <laughs> as you know, I consider you sure. Yes. You, you, run this mastermind, you manage wealth, you do all of these things, but I consider you a messenger and I am excited for this next chapter, right. which has you um, really, you know, you're a gifted speaker. I've seen the footage. You're going to be speaking more and hopefully we'll be writing your book, which is going to be epic. Um, so, so tell me, um, tell me, are you scared about this next, this stepping more into, I'd say, the public square? Or does it just feel right? Does it feel like that five-year-old who's going to get out there and run faster than everyone else? Well, I think, you know, and, and, and to get to this point, and, and you're right, I, I, I'm impacting, I'm sharing more. But the reason I'm sharing and impacting more is because I had a failure in speaking. And the failure in speaking was getting in front of a room of a few people and having a panic attack and just flubbing the whole thing. And I would get up in, and, and I, there was, I wish there was footage actually of me before I started tapping into, you know, being the speaker I am today. Um, I would always go back to that first panic attack. And then um, I had the, honor of, of hanging out with Mel Robbins one day. And she, she, she shifted me from looking back at the panic attack into the outcome. And that's where things started to go through the roof, that outcome. And in terms of, of being scared, yeah, I'm scared because of the unknown. Um, I, I, you know, I, I, it's been a year of just rapid impact 
I did the movie that uh, shows me going from my panic attacks to speaking on big stages around the world, so well in the hundreds, um, and starting a charity, he got a court, um, but also realizing that there is so much impact here. And I, I've shared this with you, Anna, where um, I've been very intentional about showing up as my true self and really standing behind supporting not only entrepreneurs, which is what, what my charity stands for, but just supporting the people around me on their mental well-being. And um, there's two individuals, now three actually, where I feel I've, I've really honed in deep on them and I've gotten very vulnerable with them. And they're all my, my, my favorites list in terms of making the pack if you decide to if you're thinking about hurting yourself, you call me any time of the day. Mm -hmm. And I feel like what I'm doing here is far and away a higher, higher level of purpose than the private wealth. I mean, we do great things. That that's that's for sure. I love Brepic Network. With we're I'm I'm saving lives here. I'm saving lives. I'm impacting lives. And not only the life that we that that is specific to saving, but everybody around them. Because I'm a suicide survivor. Uh, I know many that are, and it affects the people that are left behind. Um, so it is. It is a little. I'll admit to you. You know, film goes up to up to um, Chelsea and film festival. They they pack the house. And then we have to get up there and we got to talk about ourselves. It, it is it is weird because, yeah, I'm not really accustomed to being in front of that, being in front of the group and everybody's looking at me. Same thing with speaking too. It's, it's one of those things. But one of the big things I think about is that it is that chemical that used to be panic and anxiety, that chemical is switched over to excitement. And the excitement, what gets me so excited, um, yes, nervous, so excited is looking out in the crowd or knowing who's looking at me or knowing who's listening to this podcast right now and it's impact. I know I'm impacting somebody. I'm Maybe I'm saving a life or at the very least, maybe it's somebody out there just saying, hey, I need to communicate about this. I need to get vulnerable about my mental health struggles. Um, yeah, it's exciting. So what, as we wrap up, what are your top three tips for bouncing back from from failure? Ooh. Okay. Um, number one is, I always go back to that first time I, I felt I failed. And it's like, what happened out of that? So there's, there's that recipe that everybody out there has where it's like you failed before and you bounced back before and you could go back to, I go back to five years old, could be last week, could be last month, last year. And there, there, there's, there's evidence there and that gives you your, gives you your, gives you your why. The second thing is that that's the other part of it is that what's your why of bouncing back from the failure? And it could be multiple things. Well, my why 
is that I got to put food on the table. I can't just go downward spiral on this. I've got to bounce back from this. Um, I've got a career. I've got to, I've got to pursue this. I've got to keep on going with this. Uh, some of the other whys, which probably are very uh, much more powerful to listen to that up there is that your kids are watching. Mm -hmm. Even at the very young age of four months old, your kids are watching you. And when they're in a situation where they're going to fail, they're watching you on how you respond and what a gift you have to give them. If you can take this and, and make an even better version of yourself. And I also feel like, um, I like to share my fails, failures and what happened out of that. So that's a big motivator for me to get through stuff is that I'm going to share this with my community. I'm going to share this with my kids. And it's almost like, you know, kind of pretending that they're making a documentary on me. It's just like, oh, Mark hit rock bottom, but look, look what happens here. It's just like the hero's journey right there. Mm -hmm. It's just like, what's on the other side? It's not only for me, but it's for the people around me. So know your, know your why kind of uh, share it. And then, and then is there any other quick tip? Yeah, I feel like, um, sometimes failure for me, when I was, this was about seven years ago before I told anyone about my mental health struggles, it felt like I was just going down. I was spiraling down like this. And you have to, you have to break that cycle and the way to break that cycle. So the way I broke that cycle which is what I wholeheartedly recommend. You don't have to do the whole hundred days is that I went outside my comfort zone for 100 straight days yep. and it yep. didn't have to be just, oh yeah. And I wrote down, and I wrote down like three, 400 of these, right? I told you this one after another. And it was everything from fitness to working out to business, to relationships, to my kids, to everything. And every morning I just, okay, oh, okay. Jump in a cold body of water for five minutes. And, and what happens, your comfort zone expands, but that whole, you know, insanity is doing the same thing over, over again, thinking you're going to get the different results. Yeah. It's one little thing. And you're just chipping away at it, chipping away at it. And all of a sudden you're bouncing, you're not spiraling anymore, but you're bouncing back up and it, and you can feel that momentum coming. So I, heck yes, do a hundred days actually. Right. And start to condition yourself to get uncomfortable. I love it. I love it. So, Mark, if people want to find out more about you, um, where do they go? Uh, easiest is uh, markfujiwara.com. Not that that's necessarily easy to spell, but you, it, it's spelled exactly how it sounds. So, okay. M-A-R-K, F as in Frank, U-J-I-W-A-R-A. Well, thank you so much, Mark, for all of your wisdom. And thanks, you guys, for listening. Thanks, Anna. Thanks for listening to Fail Your Way to Success. Now, if there's anything I love more than a failure to success story, it's a review. So I hope you'll think about leaving one. For more information about the show, go to failyourway.com. And for more information about publishing a book about how you failed your way to success, or just to find out more about what I do, go to legacylaunchpadpub.com. <laughs>